0: Last week I mentioned that the passage that we considered of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples was so rich that I could easily do a series on it. But in keeping with our emphasis on the one another passages, I chose to emphasize last week Jesus' request that his disciples pray with him and how important that request was. And how they failed him. Not only in standing with him, but they failed in not praying with him. And it was such an important request that God the Father sent an angel to minister to Jesus in the place of the disciples who failed to do so. But before we leave this passage, I felt compelled to take one more look at this extremely important portion of Scripture. For in this passage, we have a window into Jesus' soul. Jesus provides us a tremendous example of how to pray in our own anguish. The Lord's Prayer, as we uh, prayed it this morning, and as we're going to be looking at it on Sunday nights, is a prayer that Jesus... Gave to his disciples. It's an exemplary prayer. It's not a prayer that Jesus himself prayed, but rather that he gave to his disciples that they should pray. This morning, we look at a prayer that Jesus himself offered for himself. In our text, we are given the words that Jesus himself prayed when he struggled. To fulfill the will of God. Words that are extremely important. We have for our benefit this morning. Uh, sovereignly by God. He reduced an extremely long prayer to a few words. If you look at Matthew twenty six thirty nine, This is what we know of the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Matthew 26:39 And going a little farther he fell on his face and prayed saying, "My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me; nevertheless not as I will, but as you will." This is a summary. This is an overview. This is an extraction. This is one small statement that epitomizes for us this significance of the prayer that Jesus prayed at that time. We know from the text that Jesus had prayed for an hour before coming to his disciples, so. He said in verse 40, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not pray with me just an hour? That's all I asked. One hour. But the point is, Jesus had been praying for an hour. We know that Jesus teaches us we are not to engage in vain repetition. So I submit to you that Jesus did not chant those words, for an hour. Just repeated and repeated and repeated. Although we do know that he offered three prayers, and they were similar in fashion. They had the same emphases. They had the same direction. They had the same spirit. So, I submit to you, these words are extremely important. We are to focus on these words of Jesus. If we were given the hour of what he prayed, we probably could have focused on many things. Who knows? There's no point in speculation. My point this morning is, out of all of that, it's been reduced to these few words. So these few words are extremely important. The theme this morning is that Jesus prayed to the Father in a submissive manner, When Jesus' personal desires ran contrary to the will of the Father. Let me say that again. Jesus prayed to the Father in a submissive manner when Jesus' personal desires ran contrary to the will of the Father. There's much that we can learn from this passage. One main focus that I'm going to have is how should we pray in a submissive manner when the revealed will of God runs contrary to our desires? What do we learn about how we should pray from this prayer of Jesus? But not only that, what do we learn about Jesus himself? What we need to understand is that Jesus did not fight against his betrayal and arrest in his prayers. It is a lesson in submitting to the will of God, our Father, in our prayers. First of all, number one, Jesus prayed in a submissive manner by not fighting against the revealed will of God in his prayers. This is not a fight between Jesus and the Father. We know that Jesus did not resist his betrayal and arrest physically. He did not seek to stop Judas when Judas had left the Passover feast. In fact, Jesus commissioned him and said, what you do, do quickly. He did not run from Judas or his betrayers when he was in the garden. He did not seek to hide from them. In fact, he went out to meet them. Verse 46. Verse 45, uh, uh, verse 45 my betrayer is at hand. Rise, let us be going. Going out to meet them. Jesus told Peter to put up his sword when Peter wanted to fight against Jesus' arrest, verses 51 and 52. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put up your sword, back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus did not resist in any way, this arrest, this betrayal, the crucifixion that he was to undergo. He did not fight against it. And my thought to you this morning is, nor did he fight against it in his prayers. So it's very important that we understand this prayer. I begin by noting there is no question that Jesus knew what the Father's will was for him, namely that he be crucified there is absolutely no question that Jesus thoroughly understood that. That God's will was for him to die. Jesus had said to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on a third day rise again. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day rise again. Jesus had taught his disciples clearly that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and to die. And do so at the hands of the chief priests and elders. There is no question that Jesus understood that the scriptures taught that he must suffer and die. In Luke chapter 24, you may want to keep your finger here and turn with me to that passage. In Luke chapter 24, we have a resurrection appearance of Jesus. Jesus has now been crucified and raised from the dead. He appears to the disciples. Starting with verse 44 of Luke chapter 24. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, that's the disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you, now this, while I was still with you, while I was still alive while I was still walking this earth, while I was discipling you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again. Excuse me. Jesus said, while I walked with you, while I was alive, I taught you from the Psalms, from the law, from all of the Old Testament, that this had to happen. Jesus knew beyond the shadow of a doubt what God's will was. In this matter. He was to suffer and die on the cross. Jesus expressed a desire in his prayer that went contrary to the revealed will of God. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Matthew twenty six, thirty-nine. And going a little farther. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, and now these words, let this cup pass from me. That is the desire that ran contrary to the will of the Father. Let this cup pass from me. May I not have to suffer, and die, and be rejected by you. That was his desire. I'll come back to that. What I want to stress this morning, and then we're going to work this out in some detail, Jesus did not fight against the revealed will of God in expressing his desire in prayer that he be able to go contrary to the will of the Father. He was not fighting against the Father. Some things I want you to note. First of all, he respectfully submitted to the will of the Father in the posture that he took. He respectfully submitted to the will of the Father in the posture that he took, verse 39. And going a little farther, and now these words, he fell on his face and prayed. He fell on his face and prayed. NIV, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Do you have a you have a picture of this? Jesus is lying prostrate prostrate on the on the ground. Okay? Spread out. On the ground. His face to the ground. So I said last week I, I did a, a Sunday school series on the very postures of prayer and what they represent standing in prayer, kneeling in prayer, praying with our eyes closed, praying with our eyes open. I went to all the different passages talking about the many different ways in which you can pray. In fact, it was out of that that I developed this habit of praying with my eyes open uh, for uh, what the Scripture taught concerning that. But nonetheless, praying with your face to the ground was a picture of absolute submission. And it's a picture that we use even today. Think about when a person is taken capture. Think about when the police arrest an assailant. For that person to be captured, uh, first of all, they put up their hands. And then, for the policeman to know that that person is not going to put up any resistance. That they're not going to try to fight against the police that they're not going to try to thwart the will of the officers to arrest this person, they say to them, get down on the ground. Get down on the ground. Put your hands behind your back. Face down. Hands behind your back. Showing absolute submission. It is a position from which you are defenseless. Jesus took a defenseless position position before the Father. He was not justifying himself. He was not proclaiming his innocence. He was not attacking the justice or goodness of God. He was not challenging whether or not this will of God was holy and right or good. He started by putting himself defenseless on the ground, offering up this prayer to the Father. Jesus respectfully submitted to the will of the Father in the explicit words that he used. Verse 39, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And now these words, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you. He expressly said, Father, not what I want, but what you want. Verse 42, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. I am willing to do what you want me to do. I'm not challenging your justice. I'm not challenging your goodness. I'm not challenging your holiness. But if it's possible, may this be avoided. Thirdly, Jesus respectfully submitted to the will of the Father by not demanding that Jesus' desires be met. He said in verse 39, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What are we to understand by these words, if it be possible? Now I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to painstakingly work through some issues with you, because they're extremely important. And they have some very practical applications at the end. So we start with this what is meant when Jesus said, Is it possible that this cup pass from me? Turn with me once again, this time to Mark chapter 14, for it sheds some real light on this. Keep your finger here, we're coming back. But verses 35 and 36, a parallel passage in Mark. Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 15. Same incidents. Just a little more information. Mark 14, starting with verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you remove this cup from me yet not what i will but what you what you will in verse 36 when jesus said all things are possible for you jesus is asserting the sovereign position of god god is control has control over all things All things are possible for you. There is nothing beyond your control. God had control over Judas. God had control over the Jewish leaders. God had control over the Roman government. God had control and authority over the angelic realm. God had authority over the highest angelic being, which is Satan. If God the Father wanted to put an end to this, he could. Things had not gotten too far. They had not gotten out of control. It wasn't too late for God to intervene. It isn't that God was sitting in heaven and looking down and saying, Oh my, I wish that there was something I could do, but... This has just gotten out of hand. This has gone too far. We are too close to the end. It can't be changed now. If the father wanted to put an end to this, he could. This is actually a statement of faith. This is a declaration. Of God's sovereignty. This is a recognition. That this isn't just. A working of Judas. This isn't just the Roman government. This isn't just the chief priests. And elders. God you are in control. God you can do all things. So he's acknowledging. The authority of God. In verse 35 of Mark, Jesus is addressing the moral character of God. Verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass. Now he's not talking about God's authority, he's talking about God's morality, he's talking about God's personhood, he's talking about the very essence and nature of who God is, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his justice, in his goodness. If it is possible for you to be morally just and good, and this to pass, may it pass. But if not, your will be done. Now in Hebrews... Listen to these words. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Philosophers love to debate, is it possible for God to do something that's impossible for God? Can God create a stone he cannot lift and all those idiotic kinds of considerations? Here, we find that God cannot lie. He will not lie, He will not go against His Word. Jesus knows what the Word of God has to say. Look at verse 54 of Matthew 26. Words to Peter, Matthew 26, 54, when he tells Peter to put up the sword, verse 54, but how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Peter, don't fight against this, or how can the Word of God be fulfilled? It must be so. Verse 56, but all this was taking place that the Scriptures and the Prophets might be fulfilled Then all the disciples left him and fled. Here is the point that I want to stress to you this morning. Again, it's extremely important. I want to drive this home. For it puts all of the scripture concerning Jesus' death in the proper perspective. Jesus was not forced or constrained to go to the cross by the Father. Jesus went willingly. Let me say that again. Jesus was not forced or constrained by the Father to go to the cross. He went willingly. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I think we got that. I I think we understand that pretty clearly. I think we understand in evangelicalism that The Roman government didn't do this. We realize that Judas didn't do this, that, that no one took Jesus' life. He laid it down of himself. But we also need to understand that the Father did not take the life from Jesus. The reason that Jesus' sacrifice is of infinite value is because Jesus gave himself willingly. Jesus is referred to in the scriptures as the second Adam. Just as the first Adam was given the freedom to disobey the will of the Father, Adam was, was created. And Adam was placed in a garden. And God said to him, You shall not eat of the tree of the uh, knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat thereof thou shalt surely die. He knew what God's will was. But God gave him the freedom to accept or to go against the will of God. So too, the second Adam, and that's what he's referred to in the book of Corinthians. Jesus is the second Adam. In what sense? Just as Adam represented mankind, now Jesus represents mankind. Just as Adam was given a charge. Jesus is given a charge. Just as Adam was given the freedom to obey or disobey that charge, so too Jesus was given the freedom to obey or disobey that charge. His charge was to go to the cross. But he could obey it or disobey it. He had power over his death that was given to him by his Father. Now, it's important that we understand this in his human nature. In his humanity. He is the God-man. But as a man, God gave him the freedom to submit to the cross or not. John ten, eighteen, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to take it up. This charge I've received of my Father. Jesus in his humanity was given the freedom to make this decision. Look with me at our text starting at verse 51, Matthew 26, starting at 51. And behold, one of those who are with Jesus, know from the parallel passage, it's Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And now here's the key. Verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? In this passage, we see the deity of Christ emphasized. In a parallel passage, it's in the I am section when they come to arrest him and he says I am and they fall to the ground. Here we see the humanity. Here Jesus says, Do you not think, Peter, that I cannot pray to my Father and ask for twelve legions of angels to spare me and he will not spare me? The point is he didn't. He didn't. He didn't pray to the Father and say, send the angels to deliver me. Instead, the Father sent one angel to strengthen him. In his humanity, Jesus resisted the temptation of putting his own desires above that of God the Father. Let's put this all in context. Jesus did not know if he could do what was being asked of him. Look at verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. He said he was sorrowful to the point of death. He was about to die. He was about to be crushed. All of this weight that was coming upon him, all the sorrow upon sorrow that I talked about last week, I can't go over all that again. We did it last week. But Jesus says, I don't know if I can bear up and do this. Jesus resisted the temptation by submissively praying to the Father. Notice verse 41. Jesus' word to the disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into, that is, give in to temptation. And he says this the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh that he is referring to is humanity. And the message is not just for the disciples, it's a word concerning himself. The Spirit is willing. Not my will, but yours be done. But his flesh was weak. He was a human being. When he went to the cross, a human being died on that cross. Certainly, it was the Son of God. But it was also a human being. A sinless human being. A human being, because of the virgin birth, didn't have a sinful nature. But still a human. And he was crying out in his humanity. Saying, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can go through with this. He needed God's help. And God indeed helped him. And God sought him through. Now, we are not given the same freedoms that Jesus possessed. And we are not like him. But we can learn some very important things. Number one, just because we're not given the freedoms that Jesus was given, that does not prevent us from making our own demands upon God and being angry when they're not met. to demand that our will be done even though we can't bring it to pass and be angry when that will is not done. Jesus was not angered. Jesus was submissive. He was expressing a weakness not a rebelliousness, a humility Not an arrogant defiance. Here's some important lessons for us in our prayers. Here is the moral quandary that we face. His moral quandary, different from our moral quandary. But here's the moral quandary that we face. We say, Lord, I love you. We say, Lord, I want to obey your word. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, doesn't that reflect who you are? I love you, Lord. I want you to be honored and glorified in my life and my decisions. I want to do what you ask me to do. I want to obey you. And then we are hit with the revealed will of God. And then we are struck with what the word of God says. Lord, I know you've told me that I must forgive this person. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know... In my human strength, that I can get past what that person's done to me. I don't know if I can forgive that person. I know you told me to love this person. I don't know if I can love that person. I know you told me to stay with that person, to reconcile. I don't know if I can bring myself to reconcile. I don't know if I can rear this child that has a birth defect. I don't know if I can continue on with this pregnancy. I don't know if I have the capacity to make that kind of sacrifice. God, I love you. God, I want to obey you. I just don't see how. I don't think I can do this. That, brothers and sisters, is a heart that we have to take to the Father. That acknowledges God's control over all things. All things are possible for you. You can take this away. But if you choose not to, Not your will, but mine be done. Lord, you got to help me. I don't want to do this. I don't know that I can do this. But I'm willing to do this. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Brothers and sisters, God asks hard and difficult things of us. It's not easy. Jesus put it in these words Take up your cross and follow me. What's that image? That image is submitting to the will of God for your life, even when it's difficult. Even when it's difficult. So, what do we learn about prayer from this passage? First, we learn it's all right to bring our struggles in submitting to the revealed will of God to our Father in our prayers. In fact, we are invited. In fact, we are exhorted. In fact, we are commanded to cast our cares upon Him. There is no shame in recognizing our weakness. We are not God. We cannot do what God does. We don't have the capacity. But we can be strengthened by God. We can be helped by God. We can be renewed by God. We can be delivered by God. Jesus confessed his need of help. Jesus' only constraint in going to the cross was his love for the Father and his love for us, and his desire to fulfill the written word of God. That was his constraint. That's what won out in his life. That's why his sacrificial death was acceptable and pleasing in God's sight. Because Jesus did not only bear the sins of the world upon himself, but he provided us with the righteousness that we don't have. There's a twofold imputation that takes place with the cross. Our sins are laid on him. His righteousness is laid on us. And that righteousness is more than his not lying, his not stealing, his not cheating. His righteousness is that he loved God with all his heart and all his soul and all his might. With every last ounce and breath, he loved the Father. Not my will, yours. You before me. What you want, not what I want. That is righteousness. That is holiness. And that's what we need to strive for in our prayers. Lord, what you want in my life. I'm willing to do. But my flesh is weak. Take it to the Lord. Pray. Humbly submit to what the word of God teaches us that what we must do Forgive those that we can't forgive, love those that we can't love. Do what we can't do on our own strength. What can I expect God to do? Not run contrary to his word, not run contrary to his revealed will, but we can expect God to help us. We can expect God to receive us. We can expect God to strengthen us and enable us we can expect God to deliver us in the sense of accomplishing his will. May we learn how to pray in anguish. May we learn how to pray in breaking hearts. May we really understand what it is to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. The true God-man. The second Adam. The mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that this God-man loved you with all his heart and all his soul in all his might. And he loved us the way that he loved himself. And that in real and true anguish, in real and vital and substitutionary giving of himself, of his will, of yielding to what you had for his life, that he accepted it, not just in physically not fighting against the capture, the crucifixion, but even in his prayers. Thank you, O oh God, that he did not call for 12,000 angels. Thank you, O God, that he was willing to love you to the uttermost. Thank you that when he said it, he meant it, not my will but yours be done. Thank you for the salvation that we enjoy through that sacrificial death in our our place. O Lord, help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to be humble. Lord, if Jesus needed your help, how much more do we need your help? Help us to realize what the scriptures teach when it says that he cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity for he was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He knows what we're going through. He knows our anguish. He knows our heartache. He's the one who tells us the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Oh Lord, help us to acknowledge our weakness. Help us to pray more diligently seeking your help, not avoiding or or going contrary to your word but acknowledging it's so hard to do it. May we submit ourselves to you. Give us victory in our lives to your praise and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.